Hello and welcome to the Terminal Velocity Podcast, issue number eight. I'm Scott. And I'm Andrew. And this is our Halloween Spooktacular uh, right. issue. Ooh. Watch out behind you, there's something there. Um, <laughs> this week we're actually going to be covering uh, in our All Points Bulletin, we're actually going to have a special um, because it just landed this last uh, Friday. We're going to be talking about The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, volume one as well as the the netflix series so we'll get into that one plus the news week was kind of dull this week so that is also true so we are <laughs> cheating by not talking about shitty news instead we'll talk about you something you don't want to talk about bane on gotham i i kind of do but i don't want to be mean about it is the really bad thing because it looks so fucking stupid it just looks like the dumbest costume i have one of the dumbest costumes I've seen in a long I time. I dare to say that Bane looked better on uh, <laughs> Batman and Robin. <laughs> Probably, yeah. He did. He actually did look better there. At least the mask did, anyways. Mm -hmm. Mr. Freeze looked stupid, but Bane looked better. <laughs> Bane even looked better in the Christopher Nolan thing. At least that has a better fit to it. Yeah. The voice notwithstanding. The, the look was a lot better. <laughs> anyway, and then in tapping the speed force, sorry, we'll get to Justice League Dark. The new series. The, the, yeah, the new series that came out. Then we'll also tackle Hyper Timing with The Walking Dead Volume 1. Nice little throwback. Yes. It's also its anniversary, 15th anniversary this year. And uh, running the Cosmic Treadmill, we're going to dive into Batman The Long Halloween, which mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, this will be a lot of a lot of fun. So let's get into our All Points Bulletin. Normally, this would be where we cover the news from the week. Um, so we've just kind of ranted for a quick second about the, the Bane crap. That came out. There's not really too much else that we really have too 90s much. 90s Flash is coming back. Yes. Awesome. Yes. The 90s Flash. That's probably the biggest one that is the um, kind of the the most, the one that makes me feel the happiest in all of the news articles from this week, seeing that classic costume. Now, it looks a bit like felt, which is strange <laughs> when you see it in, in comparison to the other costumes that are out, where they're all leather or pleather or whatever the hell it is. I can live with it. But it's got that kind of texture to it that looks a little different, but it is an awesome costume. So I'm desperate. I'm, I'm desperate to see how this crossover I actually the, plays the out. I hope the Danny Elfman theme plays when he runs on screen. Oh, shit. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so there was that story. And let's just get into our Sabrina talk. Um, All right. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Volume 1. Yeah. So this is, if you if you were reading the comic, you are waiting for the full storyline to end. Much like if you were reading Afterlife with Archie, which is a great comic. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. is a really great comic. You're still waiting for that one to end as well. I don't think we're ever going to see the conclusion of either one of these storylines. Yeah, I tried, I tried doing some research, and it just seems to have dropped off. The last kind of news on Chilling Adventures was that it was going to drop deep into 2018, uh, which we're now deep into <laughs> we're getting, 2018. We're getting a little deeper into 2018. Now, it, it can be said that the the writer for the book is also the executive producer uh, for the show Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, as well as the showrunner for Riverdale. Yeah. So um, I, you know, he's very busy. He's tapped. So st safe to say, he won't be continuing the story. It would be nice if somebody else was handed off and, and picked it up and kept yeah, going. I definitely think that they. I know because he also he is the head of. I think Archie Comics. Yeah, I believe so. So um, uh, I forget his name, Robert, Roberto something. Yeah. Once but. again, we forget a name <laughs> that we should have on the tip of our tongue. Apologies. Andrew's going to look it up while I kind of continue. Um, 
so this the story picks up, and the the nice thing about this one is that this picks up with kind of an, an origin for Sabrina. Uh, it takes place back in the sixties. In the comic, it takes place back in the 60s, which is the big importance. So uh, Andrew's just showing me the name that we were forgetting here was Roberto Aguera Sacasa. Um, I may have butchered that, and apologies if I have. He was the the writer of The Chilling Adventures and The Afterlife with Archie. Um, So yeah, so Chilling Adventures of Sabrina takes place in the 60s, kind of a retelling of the origin, very darkly rooted in much the same way that Afterlife with Archie is very dark. Um, this is going down way further down into the horror aspect of things, which I kind of like because I have never, that I can recall, read an actual Archie comic. (laughs) So getting into these was actually my first time getting into any of the Archie landscape. Well, I think a lot of the original Archie stuff was kind of like set up comedy, like punchlines and, and, little like cheesy gags and stuff and i mean I've, I've never really read an archie comic beyond maybe glancing at one of those grocery store digests that you yeah see, which but... were the reprinting of all the original stuff yeah. so yeah so it, it's it's a very different thing to start reading this and have like oh she's you know uh, she is the daughter of a warlock and a mortal mm-hmm. and that is extremely taboo and she has been promised to Satan. So that's a very interesting thing because in your mind you're thinking, oh, you know, Archie Comics, this is very, you know, let's go to the milk shop and let's talk well, about Betty and Veronica. And, yeah, and you also think about, like, the 90s Sabrina show, yeah. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and also this is, the classic comics. It's a way not that. Yeah, this is a hard right turn, left turn, whatever. It is a hard 180 from all of your expectations. I will say that if you're sensitive to, you know, demonic and satanic imagery and uh concepts this is definitely not a book you're going to want to read <laughs> yeah <It's>, uh, <laughs> that is an understanding if you you know it might it might be upsetting to you so mm-hmm. i just want to forewarn anyone uh, yeah. before partaking in it yeah not to make light but that could be a trigger for some yeah. people where if they are deeply rooted in their religion this might be something that really is upsetting for you that being said, I, I actually enjoy that aspect of it. Um, it doesn't bother me in the least. So I was happy to see that kind of shift in tone. Um, Let's just clarify. You're not a Satanist, right? So. I'm not, well, no, I wouldn't say I'm a Satanist. <laughs> I'll leave the ambiguity up there. No, no, I'm not a Satanist or anything like that. But I can appreciate the tones in some of the sh- in, in in different stories, so long as it's it's got some payoff in it. Oh yeah, I, I appreciate its authenticity. I guess in terms of portraying evil, um, I'm not particularly a huge fan of of that. But you know, uh, it it doesn't really hold back from it, and it's trying to like tell the story from that perspective. And it's not that Sabrina's evil. Actually, she kind of rebels against. Yeah, I wouldn't against like some of their concept or some of their beliefs, which is why she kind of walks that line. Uh, I would say more so in the TV show uh, than than the comic book. But um, I wouldn't say anybody's outright outside of the actual bad guy. mm -hmm. No one is outright evil on the show or in the comic itself. Yeah, Uh, I would. (laughs) You know, they they heavily imply that they ants are cannibals and. And whatnot. No. Everybody's <laughs> got to eat. Eating human sacrifices and whatnot. <laughs> anyway. 
So the, the story centers around her growing up, uh, 16th birthday. She's supposed to be handing herself over to her religion in a, in a dark baptism kind of thing. Um, signing herself over to the Dark Lord. Yes, signing herself over to the Dark Lord. She doesn't really fully understand what that means. Nobody's really being clear with her. Um, the volume one of the comic actually ends with that happening. Um, so this is where the things kind of deviate fairly drastically between the show and the comic. Um, in the comic, it ends and her mortal boyfriend stumbles on the scene of her during the baptism and he ends up getting eaten by some bad witches (laughs) (laughs) in the woods. And then... Not to be mistaken for the witches in in, uh, Scott Snyder's book. Yes, not not quite the same thing, but with a similar outcome to some people. (laughs) Um, But he ends up dying. Um, Sabrina has to help cover it up with her aunt's uh, so that witches aren't exposed in the world. I do want to make note, because if we talk about the, the TV show, Sabrina was fully going forward with the baptism uh, in the in the comic. It didn't. Yes. She didn't seem to have any reluctance with that. And the only reason she doesn't sign her name is because Harvey gets spotted and he freaks out and yep. she runs for, out of concern for him. Yeah, she runs to to find him and keep him safe during, during um, the whole ceremony. So... He ends up dying. Uh, she has to cover things up. The main bad guy tells her that she can bring him back. They end up resurrecting him. It turns out her dad actually start his soul takes over the the body of Harvey. So some weird shit is going to happen yeah, in the other issues. Uh, volume one is issues one to five of Chilling Adventures. There's actually eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just going to talk about the, that one to five. So this is where it, it kind of takes a, a twist. You do get some... Um, cameos from Betty and Veronica and I was kind of curious what your take was on that because apparently in this one they're also witches because yeah. Miss Grundy is also a witch over yeah. in Riverdale. Yeah. So it's a thing. It was a thing. It was interesting. It's an interesting take on it. Yeah, I didn't Again, bother me so like, much. having like no interest in these characters to begin with. I was like, all right, I'll go with this. So this is about as close as a, you're going to get to a crossover because I don't believe these are the same uh, Betty and Veronica from uh, Afterlife with Archie. I think it's just no. similar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, basically Madam Satan, uh, the lead antagonist of the, of the book, is kind of brought back from the dead by uh, – not Sabrina, Betty and Veronica trying to do an enchantment, trying to like have like basically settle their their typical score between yeah. who will get Archie. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and the one thing I do have to say is I really enjoyed the character design of Madame Satan. Yeah. She's very much like the Corinthian from Sandman. Okay. If anybody doesn't know what that is, he's got teeth for eyes. So she's got little, little faces in her little in her eye sockets. Goblin heads in her eye sockets. Yeah, whereas he has uh, teeth in his in his eyes. Mm-hmm. It's a very unsettling appearance, and, and really gets across how evil or or horrific these characters can be. So I like that. So I will stop talking for this quick second, and I'll let you talk a little bit about the show because I'm only about halfway through the show, and I think yeah. you've completely finished it. So, so yeah, my wife and I finished um, season one of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. And uh, I'm going to say flat out that I like the book better than the show. Um, I, I found, like, the, the, the points when they deviated from the show, uh, or sorry, when, in the show when they deviated from the book, I felt like a lot of the changes were made just for the sake of change. 
and I think some of it was just uh, just to kind of pad it out because they're adapting, you know, from a very short run of books. And season one kind of ha- starts off uh, in a similar manner, uh, but you know, because of TV tropes, they don't want to get rid of the boyfriend. So, yeah, you know, the they, they created they created a brother character who kind of fulfills the role of being killed and then being brought back, and it comes back not quite right. And yeah, like again, this could be very triggering for people. There's very there's straight up like Baphomet statues and and pentagrams and everything all over the show mm-hmm. and then you know a lot of you know it's definitely a very very different show from the melissa joan hart yeah like if, you, if, you're, if this you're is coming... not sabrina the teenage witch <laughs> yeah and if, if you're coming at this show because you're a fan of that other show you're you're gonna be it's gonna be very jarring fucking for shock yeah 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 there's no talking cat the, i'll the, also settle that and you know what i the whole season i'm waiting for this damn cat to talk I'm and happy we, they didn't have a talk. See, cat. I, I I would have been fine. With, I I liked Salem, so <laughs> see, probably the only thing I liked about the original. <laughs> okay, this is another thing. I never really watched the original show either, but just, I'm happy they didn't have a talking cat. I will be perfectly honest. I would have been fine with him not being like the sarcastic, dry humor, uh, punchline cat that he was in the original show. But like, the cat talks to her, but you don't hear it. It's just the cat's meowing. She understands what he's what it's saying. Right. The part is I don't get why they showed him talking and in goblin form or whatever at the first when his first the introduction first, yeah. only to not really revisit that beyond. Um, I think there was like a, a, a chasing with like a cartoon scarecrow chasing her. And... I have a feeling that it was that's kind of a budgetary restriction yeah, because there was absolutely. a lot of CG to get going. Like so. and I just think like did they even try to have somebody run after her in a scarecrow costume? Like it just. It really was jarring to see this cartoon scarecrow. Yeah, I it, mean, it, it felt like there was no stakes. It's kind of like the big comic battles at the end of a movie. It's a CGI slugfest, and you don't care because it's you can tell it's fake. See, that's interesting because I'm I come from it from not having really cared or seen the original show too much, mm-hmm. like maybe an episode here or there. But I love the full deviation, and again. Like the the whole satanic stuff, I was well Don't into. Don't get me wrong, I, I like I like that they're doing a dark spin on the on the character and and the you know witchcraft, you know like it has dark roots. It's not like the somehow's like Wendy the Good Witch and yeah, and the classic Sabrina. And as much as um, I shit on current comics being too dark, <laughs> when you're when you're dealing with a comic that's usually too light, yeah, and it goes to dark, I'm. Totally on board. Well, I would. I would. I have to describe <laughs> because this as I'm a being... twisted asshole who can't decide which way he prefers. It. Well, the thing is, I would compare this these two shows, right? Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina would be like Batman '66 and then '89 Batman '89. Like, yeah, fair it's enough. that kind of a jump where you're like, okay, this is something different. That's not the issues I really had with the show. Mm-hmm. I was fine with it being dark and different and and whatnot. I just felt like it was cliched and very like predictable in what it was doing. Like the whole way through, I was telling my wife exactly what was going to happen, just from like the first little hint of uh, of the plots. Yeah, and that, that I found kind of disappointing. Like I thought they would go dark, but they just they would pull back at certain point points, and I felt like you, if you're going to commit to this level where you're having like Baphomet statues and pentagrams, you might as well go all in mm-hmm. they they and again like i found like the characterization of the ants 
strange in the show. I would agree with that. Because I couldn't quite get they, a gauge. They kind of start out dark in the comics, and they're like they've set up the rules at witches. Uh, you know, a full witch. Sorry, uh, they don't have those mortal attachments that they're. You know, they they don't really like. It takes away that level of caring and, and heart. And like they flat out like characters even say this in the show. Mm-hmm. And then it's like then there's like a turnaround where like. They'll genuinely the, care for yeah, each other. Yeah, they genuinely care about her or other people. And I get it. Like, human beings, that's what it would be. But if, like, the commitment to the Dark Lord or whatever is, like, sacrificing that part of your soul, how are you suddenly yeah. caring? And then, and then like, snap back that you don't, like... There's some. There are definitely some inconsistencies in character. You, like, you, write, you set out the, the Bible, the rule, the rule book of the show, and then you, like, kind of, like, change it on whim. I kind of don't like that. Yeah, I couldn't get a good gauge on whether the ants were genuinely supposed to be um, scary or whether they were supposed to be stern or whether they were supposed to be loving or fun. I like, found that you the can't show really, tell. really chickened out with the, the father character. I didn't get back into the dad. So, so in, the, in the comic, just for quick reference, he basically, uh, when the time comes, he basically like has his wife lobotomized and institutionalized and yeah, basically ends up dying right because he's, he's a, very he's bad a guy. head warlock right <laughs> yep in the show he's kind of like he's only seen in like flashback and vision form kind of thing and he and his wife were both supposedly like they cared about the daughter you know they hint that the father maybe maybe didn't uh care about her on that level because you know he's a warlock mm-hmm. and like i just found it it it, it, it pulled back like on making him an evil character, and maybe they they do this in season two. I I don't know, like, because they haven't fully revealed the whole backstory yet. But the way it, it's implied, it's like he's it's he's just not the same evil character. Like it seems like he did care about his daughter. And, That's um, fair enough. I mean, like I, I say, know. I haven't finished it. I would <laughs> say the one thing that I don't like so much. Is they had this the ants kind of with a Cain and Abel uh, aspect to them, mm-hmm. and I mean more like Cain and Abel from uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman stuff, mm-hmm. where one ant would kill the other one and then just wait for her to come back. Yeah, and like because they're not mortal, they will always come back until one day when no, they don't so, come back. So later in a later episode, they explain how that works. Uh, the cemetery in which he buries him, and on their property, it's like a special soil that brings back witches. Oh, okay. So it's not like you can't just kill a witch and they come back. It's just you have to be buried within a certain amount of time. I think they said like 13 minutes you have to be buried in that particular in that soil. Spot. Okay. And it'll bring bring them back. Gotcha. It's a whole plot point where did you? I guess you didn't get to the part where the um, uh, Harvey's brother, Tommy, gets no. killed in the mine because of the witches. No. So they do a spell and they basically uh, cause a, a cave-in in the mine that kill like traps and kills like five miners including uh tommy kinkle harvey was supposed to also have been killed but sabrina had done like a protection ward on him prior to the incident so right she comes up with a scheme uh to basically get revenge on the witch that caused the death by killing that witch with the help of her sisters and and that nick character but because she has an out, she because she knows about the the graveyard, she buries the the witch in that cemetery, and lo and behold, she comes back. But then Tommy's character came back without a soul, and it's a whole 
thing where like it fucks everything up and okay. it causes Harvey to kind of break up with her once he she reveals that she's a witch and she brought she tried to bring back the brother and it didn't work and okay like in that part of, like I didn't have an issue I I like the show worked best for me when it did have some kind of adventure or scheme going on when it was trying to touch on the comic that's where it kind of falters for me because okay. it doesn't commit to that but it, I, I really did enjoy you know episode A she's doing this episode B it's another mystery you know and or or uh, incident mm-hmm. um, where was I going with this <laughs> yeah no I, I like that's the kind of stuff that I liked about it I liked I, I liked the kind of um, initially starting with a larger plot thread mm-hmm. but kind of having a a monster of the week type of thing, like and a Buffy thing, I really but being very part. dark Yeah, about and, it. I was totally on board with that's that. that's where so. I felt the show worked best. Yeah, like I, I got up to the part where there was a sleep demon that was kind of mm-hmm. holding everybody in the sleep. And I would say that was probably the first episode we got where it was like creature of the week type yeah. storytelling. And I kind of, I, I mean, it got a little hokey and it got a little strange, but you got to see different powers well, and different aspects. The, of... book, the book is called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. So I expect to see adventures, like that. not yeah. just like one continuous storyline. Yep. I don't want to hang on to this too long, but I did want to say that. I enjoyed the 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 conclusion on the in the book. I like the twist. And I wanted to see where that's going to go with the father coming back and her yeah. boyfriend's well, body. Well, we're never going to find out. <laughs> but the show, I really didn't like the the conclusion of season one. I just thought it basically shit in the face of the whole premise. Hmm. You know, you've got Sabrina like struggling because she does care about people and her loves her friends and she wants to. Uh, you know, she so she rejects evil. She thinks I can do both, right? And you know, maybe that's how they're gonna say they're doing it with um, with with this because in the con- spoilers in the conclusion, she is convinced that she has to sign the book to gain the powers of the Dark Lord to to defeat the thirteen Greendale thirteen, which are the resurrected spirits of the witches that were hanged during the Salem trials. So like. She signs her book, her name in the book, and I, I'm guessing their their caveat there is going to be that she had a Christian baptism, so it'll be like she's walking the line or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but that was something I, I else just, that was just introduced in the show and not in the comic. Yeah, that was absolutely not, not in the comic. So I just I I find that that kind of defeats the purpose of of her whole premise of her fighting like resisting evil, only to have her give in by the end of the first season. And, you know, like, they, I guess they wanted to have a reason for her hair to go white like it is in the comic. And she's, you know, again, because they ignore the rules that they set out in the first episode, like, she's still going to care. Well, they deviate enough from the rules. I don't think it's that they fully ignored them. It's just that they they probably set them out and then realized mid-season or something like that that they had to they had to, to have leniency. Zelda <laughs> yeah, because if she's not, then eventually no one's going to care what happens to that character. So if if somebody's completely despicable and they're one of the main characters, you kind of have to give a reason for people to care. I just don't. I I personally didn't like Sabrina signing the signing her soul over in, in the book to gain power. Like it just kind of. I know she was manipulated and she thought there was no other way, but I think it would have been more creative to, for her to have found a way to not have to like basically give in. So. Interesting. We're going to have, like, I guess, season two where it's going to start out where she's 
embracing her dark side and blah, blah, blah. So we'll see. That's interesting. I still want to finish this season. I think it's still, I, I think, think it's, it's still a, a good show. It's worth watching. I think so. I think it's a good show, especially for Halloween. Um, to be watching, I don't think we've got enough horror TV shows, mm -hmm. so I'm totally on board. This show, like The Exorcist, not a great, great, great show, but I enjoy the, the scary aspects and that kind of thing. So My wife and I enjoyed, I would still say check we, it out. We enjoyed the, ex the Exorcist for the first couple episodes, I think. The season two was like, was like well, okay. <laughs> season two um, really cleans itself up by the end. It really gets better. I will end this talk on one point. We seem to be in a point in society where we're kind of glamorizing and glorifying the villains and darkness. And, you know, we're, the idea that good and doing good is antiquated. And I find that strange. Like, it's like your, your heroes have to be dark your villains have to be dark, but now we're getting stories about villains that we're supposed to sympathize with them and empathize with their, their positions. You know, that even goes back to, like, the Joker movie. We're getting a movie about his sob story about why he's this disenfranchised, neglected person in society. Okay. And it's like, you know, we have a, super, a character like Superman who wants to be, like, is the embodiment of good, and, like, his values are almost seen as, as obsolete, which... I find very strange. I kind of disagree with you on that one. I don't think we see necessarily that in media. I think we're we're seeing we have seen the shift where anti-heroes are being portrayed um, more favorably than true heroes because they are viewed as being more more human and more realistic. Mm -hmm. Because push comes to shove, good people will do bad things. Unfortunately, history has shown that. Um, mm -hmm. That is kind of one of those things of, of, the, of being human is that, you know, we all want to do the right thing. We all want to be the right person. We all want to be good people. We all falter. We will all do something. Eventually, it all comes down to what is right for us and what do we think will be right. Um, I still think that people fundamentally want, which is why something like um, – I think Bendis' Superman is doing is doing this pretty well, is really showing when the character is doing good, it can be inspirational, and it can make you think differently. And I think a lot of people that are responding to something like that, that's why they say this run is being so good or these stories are so mm -hmm. good right now, is when we're seeing heroes actually being heroes. That's what I want It to is more. being refreshing. Um, I would agree we have spent too long on characters – being the anti-hero and being the opposite of that. Um, I would like to think that we've only seen that because, well, because the world has been so shitty. There's there's no escaping that. That's why I think we need we need characters like Superman and Bendis's yeah. take on it. Like a, I'm not a even talking about anti I'm, like, I'm uh, talking uh, more about the glorification of, of villains. Like it's just like, how many villain movies are coming out in the pipeline? That yeah, and they're all going to be they're all going to suck, and they're all going to be shit. <laughs> I mean, look at the Suicide Maurice Squad was a, a whole movie about oh look at the bad guys, and it was a fucking turd. But it made money. It did, and it's not had a sequel. They're pushing ahead with Harley Quinn. It will, yeah, Harley Quinn. I mean, that's like they're. I don't think I think the the pro audiences are going to see that that isn't what they actually want. You don't so. want to see the bad guy win. No. 
That's not what anybody <laughs> wants because that's not the reality. I want to see the hero have trials and tribulations, yeah. but I want to see them overcome darkness and evil. Yeah. So the, maybe that's why... Our special edition last week that we did, our special episode was on Halloween. Mm-hmm. And that's very much a, a hero, of, you know, with all of her faults, overcoming evil. And I think that's why audiences are really responding And I think to they're it. digging it, yeah. For too long, I think that we've kind of been delving into the sympathetic monster. Like it's, look at Rob Zombie's Halloweens. Like it's yeah, solely, and, it, and it's, I think that's... <laughs> like the, the heroes are unlikable. Like you I don't think it's getting care. down to also kind of, and we'll get into that I think in our, in our next section is, just because they're a monster doesn't mean they're bad. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of getting into that, that, that is kind of a different aspect of the same story. Um, but I would, I, I mean, I still think we've had more people walking the, the line of ambiguity of good or evil. You're right. We have had more of that. But the things that I think the broader audience respond to are when people firmly land on, you know, good wins, because that's ultimately what people want to see happen. Well, it'll be interesting to see if that's where Sabrina goes, because I'm not so, I'm not so yeah. certain that's the case. It I'm... definitely isn't in the tone in the comic. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing that there was a very big tonal shift not only between the the 90s tv show and this current tv show but this current tv show and the comic have a very different tonal shift on who sabrina is yeah for sure um that being said i, I think it's worth checking out i think anybody that can that likes a good scary story or like with that evil tones and the art is fantastic it is i really absolutely. really love the art in it um I would say check it out and definitely check out the show. I mean, it's on Netflix. You can binge it if you've got uh, 10 hours, I think. I, I give a conditional recommendation just solely because I know that it could be triggering for some people. Um, but if you're not bothered by that and you're open to just reading content and, uh, yeah. and a dark story, then this is definitely one worthwhile. I give it a 100% satanic recommendation <laughs> oh to anybody who's interested. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew's blessing me in the booth. <laughs> All right. Now that we've done that and I've probably triggered a few people, we're going to move on to tapping the speed force. Uh, this is our section where we talk about current storyline within the comics. That's worth checking out. Given this is our Halloween spooktacular, we are going to be covering the Justice League Dark, the current new series. Where we continue our descent into darkness here. Yes. <laughs> where we keep going further and further down into the evil bowels of magic. All right. Um, you know, how do I even talk about this book? I, I, I think I've gone on record on this saying that I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of like having like dozens of different Justice League teams or books. This is a, a series that I initially completely ignored um, because of that, that belief. Did you read any of the previous Justice League darks that have I been, did. That have so happened? so okay. I, I would go, my history with this would even go back a little even before that existed, and it would be the uh, Day of Vengeance uh, one-shot and miniseries during Infinite Crisis, which is where it kind of is the, the uh, genesis of, these, of this kind of grouping. You know, Detective Chimp... Uh, Oh my gosh, I can't even remember the characters. I think it was like Enchantress and... um, I don't remember that. There's basically all the the magic user type characters kind of band together to form a a Justice League Dark spinning out of that series. And so I I kind of followed that a little bit back then. This new incarnation now has Wonder Woman uh, front and center because it's kind of redefining uh, previously untold 
aspect of her origins mm-hmm. where uh oh my gosh i forget the name of the witch but there's like a, a witch entity hecate uh, sorry hecate yeah i believe that's the that's the one basically has marked various children throughout mm-hmm. the world and including wonder woman uh and then erases it from their memories until their their chosen time and so yeah we should probably uh quickly say that Justice League Dark ties directly into the Witching Hour storyline that is currently on the go through, obviously, Justice League Dark and the Wonder Woman comic. Yes. Um, and I think that the and first it's been three issues have clear. been set up for that, that Yeah, that it was a setup story. for the this crossover storyline, which I find strange. For we'll, a, we can a get into point? it. <laughs> yeah, we can get into it in a minute once, you, once you've done the synopsis. And I apologize for interrupting, oh, but, okay. like... It's a very strange thing. Like, why not just start the storyline, calling it the Witching Hour, and have it be what, however many storyline. Like, it seems, it seems weird it that they launched it for three issues just to lead into the story. Yeah, it should have just kind of spun right, right from the gate. Like, I'll be honest, I didn't fully read issues one through three. I kind of glanced through them because I started reading the Witching for Hour. For shame, Andrew. Yes, yes I'm, I've committed the cardinal <laughs> sin. <laughs> So the uh, you didn't miss much. <laughs> well, starting the witching hour one shot, it pretty much tells you all you really need yeah, to know. It, it, it was really it even gives you brief synopsis of what happened. I guess for the yeah, first it's three a issues. three issue prologue, and it's basically they on. come across like this. Um, basically, magics become almost like unstable. Like they can't kind of fucking. They can't like it's going wrong. Yeah. So and Doctor Fate has turned on them because reasons i guess like so dr fate himself hasn't necessarily turned on them the entity uh was it nabu i think um has actually decided that humans have you know um corrupted corrupted magic magic and pilfered it for far too long and use it for their own gains and it's a load of shit they're going to be destroying magic so that nobody can use it anymore Mm -hmm. um so you've got him that's that's doing that. You've got Hecate who's trying to take all the magic back for herself. Um, and then there's that weird Elseworld type creature. Yeah, you've got this ups, the Upside Down Man who I think, I mean, I can appreciate the character design, but it feels a lot like they, they tied into Stranger Things with the Upside Down. <laughs> And they just wanted something that was all teeth, and because he's literally just it, it floats kind of upside made me down. Think of that um, Channel Zero teeth monster. From yes, that, without the teeth, but it yeah, kind of has that same look. To it's it. a very strange kind of decision, um, and and that's kind of where it, where it picks up. So you've got Zatanna is trying to do her magic with all of her backwards talk, and when she does that, things go horribly wrong, and people end up getting hurt. So she basically can't use her traditional magic. Um, anymore. Constantine's kind of a bit character that doesn't even really play into the story at all at this point. Um, we'll, we'll quickly say the characters that are in Justice League Dark in case anybody doesn't know. So Wonder Woman is the linchpin keeping them between the Justice League and because she's got her own. She's got kind of this mystical aspect to her anyway. So that, yes. that kind of fits. You've got Langstrom, the man bat, <laughs> which I don't understand why he's in there. And they kind of say he's why, kinda like but the I don't lizard get it. now, you know, like he he's kind of retained his human mind, but he's yeah. stuck in the bat form. But you've got Swamp Thing, awesome, because any Justice League Dark needs to have Swamp Thing in it. You've got, like I said, Zatanna is in it again. <laughs> I mean, she's been part of these things before. Detective and Chimp. Detective Chimp. 
I enjoy Detective Chimp. I think it's an absolutely ridiculous character. I I have no but, problems with the Detective Chimp. But I think Chimp. it's just funny to have an alcoholic Detective Chimp on, on the team. Yeah. And I, we should say that he is like such a heavy drinker now because of things that happened directly in um, Dark Knight's Metal that happened where... I the, think he already was a heavy drinker. Oh, he might have been a heavy yeah. drinker before that, I guess. <laughs> but he took over the bar. Um, the Oblivion Bar, I think is what it's called. Okay. Um, because its previous owner died in that series. Yeah, okay. So he's kind of got it, and that's where he's got his sword from. And I apologize, I can't remember the character's name that he took it from. He mentioned it briefly, and I, I didn't make note of it. I wasn't big on the character. Um, so that's kind of where things are going. They they take a quick trip to, to Dr. Uh, Fate to figure out, okay, what is happening to magic? You need to help us solve this problem, because obviously he's the strongest that there is. He basically unleashes the upside-down man once you determine that, okay, he's totally nefarious and blah, blah, blah. There's a big battle. This guy's able to destroy Swamp Thing. He's able to completely destroy Detective Chimp, which I thought was really cool because he just kind of melts him. Oh, just kind of melts all of his skin. And then the man bat is like, I can fix this. I can fix this. Science can fix this. And he scoops him up into a jar, just all of his goo into a jar. It's it's some really cool dark theme that happens in there. See, there's some payoff to this book. I... There's some. Um, and then eventually the the symbol that's on, on the magic inside Diana eventually comes out and it helps her defeat the guy and send him back to his realm. Um, and this is where the rest of the story picks up with, okay, well, what is the actual mark and the sigils on her, on her head that are activating? All these other witches are being activated what's actually on the go. And this is the, the witching hour story that's kind of taken mm-hmm. over. Um, it's an okay read. I don't like the fact that it was a three-issue prologue, prologue to get into uh, a, a crossover event between this book and another book. Yeah, like I, feel, I think that it, it should have, if anything, a series like this should have launched out of the story. Yeah. For, like they should have, this prologue issue should have been retooled to be a one-shot of some sort. And be part one or part zero if you really need to yeah. of Witching Hour, and then spin out into an ongoing series. But I think they jumped the gun a little bit, so I don't know how sales are going to be. But and I, yeah, and I don't know how this is going because it's like uh, parts one and two are kind of within Justice League Dark, or no, part one was a standalone. Two and three, I think, were Justice League Dark, and, and then four there's is, four uh, is Wonder so Woman. Two issues of Wonder Woman and two issues of Justice League Dark are are part of the storyline and then there's another one shot to end it all to end yeah it's a very messed up thing and i know lots of other podcasts have talked about this so we won't i won't go into too much more detail (laughs) but i don't think it's it's kind of a shitty way to to try and do a story to force you into these other books in order to actually get kind of like the justice league drowned earth like there are some books that like they, they, I, I'm fine with a crossover with, like, say, Justice League and Aquaman. I'm fine with a tie-in issue of some sort. But then, like... But the they... core story is carrying <laughs> over in these other issues. Well, Drowned Earth is apparently a bigger storyline than you, you think because there's three tie-ins prior to the story starting. Jesus Christ. So you've got... So Drowned Earth will be... I'm sorry, we're deviating here a little bit. But Drowned Earth is, is a storyline that's going to be crossing over through... Aquaman and Justice League. So la- this month's, or sorry, last week, I think it was, Aquaman for number 41 or something and Justice League number 10 are tie-ins to the story. 
so they're not even the story hasn't even kicked off yet. They're tie-ins, and then just arbitrarily Titans is thrown in there as a tie-in, which my my shop threw in my pile. <laughs> See, this is one of these so things I, where I'm I'm like having a big event is one thing. Having a big event where you have to literally have to read four or five other books. And I know this is a classic way of doing things. Reign of Superman, you know, Death of Superman, you know. Crossovers um, are fine, like, but like we're, we're in a time where like books are double shipping. So like do we really need yeah. to also have that on top of that? Yeah, no, I don't I don't like when, when that happens. Like I like the characters of Titans, but I didn't want to have to pick up Titans. No. Do you know what I mean? Like uh, – and it's like a throwaway issue. I kind of glanced at it, and it's kind of like, oh, Aqualad or Tempest or whatever his name is now, yeah. where he like shows up and half the core team. And they did, they did this. I, I'm convinced this is a tie-in because they've signed sidelined Dick Grayson, Wally West, and Roy Harper. So like, how else are you going to sell this book? That's true. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, um, all three of them are basically dead. But it, <laughs> darkness falls darkness across the land. Falls. Um, getting back, we'll get back to Justice League Dark because we're deviating. <laughs> so yeah, like uh, for the Witching Hour, like I'm, I'm actually enjoying it so far. I haven't read all of it. I've read the one shot. I read the first issue uh, or part two and part three through mm-hmm. uh, Wonder Woman and Justice League Dark, and it's kind of like it's got that same kind of like crazy. Um, uh, how do I put it? Like. It's very fast-paced, almost on the level of Justice League, but mm-hmm. not. it's a little short, just short, short of that. I like that Wonder Woman's kind of, like, compromised, uh, in a sense, because she, she doesn't yeah. understand what's happening to her. There's a there part is... where they try to go to the Justice League yes. to talk to them in their virtual uh, or mental uh, boardroom. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just walk past the Atom there. Uh, it's tiny chair. <laughs> but... Um, they go to tell them, and, and Diana holds back, doesn't actually tell them everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're debating what to do about it when, like, I guess the... What's her name Hecate. Again? Hecate. I might be saying it wrong, or but that's Hector how I... Hector or whatever. Hecate. H-E-C-A-T-E. <laughs> yeah, I think right. is how it's... She uh, basically makes the league forget, so it has this little throwaway line where they're like, Ted Cord's complaining about monitor duty or something like that. Yeah, the thing that I liked so much about when they did that is Detective Chimp afterwards is talking to Diana, and he's like, so what did Batman have to say about this thing? They're like, oh, I didn't tell him. He's like, oh, that's a good decision, because he won't take you holding back any (laughs) information poorly. (laughs) (laughs) Like, some really good lines in there. It it does feel like, I like that aspect of it, and, and, like, the Justly Dark is, uh, is, like, Diana's task force to deal with dark, darker things that the League can't handle. Yes. So I like that, and they're kind of, like, in the basement of the Hall it of Justice? To- I like that aspect. I like that it totally makes sense. There are some things that you can't throw Superman and Batman at, that they just can't handle. I also like that Detective Champ has uh, a portal doorway to his bar. Yes. That was really, that he snuck it in. <laughs> what The thing that I don't like about this that I wrote down is, um, like, we've got all of these characters. I don't know why we have them. Because none of them are utilizing any of their powers or any powers whatsoever. Detective Chimp, it's in his name. What is he detecting? Sweet fuck all in all of this story. He is doing nothing to detect anything. <laughs> Swamp Thing really is just growing big and using vines to beat things. He is not being any, utilized in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Langstrom, comedy. That's all he's there for. He is the comedic moment. Your first introduction to him is body form, human, 
head bat. And he's running around oh, doing things. There is, like, this is what my, my problem is with, with the series is I don't really understand what the team is doing. Well, that's the point. Because they don't it? have, they're not displaying any of their abilities in any way, shape, or form. There's no, like, they, they've kind of, it's still, in a sense, a prologue to the team. You know, like, we're only just kind of getting to, like, the, the threat that justifies their existence. And this is why JL Dark has launched too early. It should have been this miniseries first. Mm-hmm. And if it's successful, you, you branch out to this team. No. That being said, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I still haven't read the latest issue, so I can't. I, I don't know how judgment, it's going to pull but... together, and I don't know. Like you say, I don't know if you're going to have the moment of the team coalesces and gets it done, mm-hmm. because I haven't seen anything because nobody is doing anything that they were kind of built to do. Yeah. So, that's that. That's kind of my my opinion on Justice League Dark. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. Okay. So uh, on that bit of a downer. <laughs> let's take further let's deep, dive deeper into the darkness here where the world is is totally fucked mm-hmm. and so we'll get into hyper timing with <laughs> walking dead volume one hyper timing is our section where we get into um we kind of refer to them as indie but these are more stories that are outside of the the mainstream the, the mainstream the big two really um this is where we're going to talk about uh, something that's uh, that's of more interest that isn't necessarily just superhero related. Yeah, we step into the other universe. Yes, through hypertime. So, Walking Dead Volume One, the craze that started it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what did you? We've both read this, I think, before a few times. So, Walking Dead Volume One with, is issues one through five, I believe. Yeah, one through five or one through six, something like that. Um, it's the it's the old image way of doing i think it's about six issues in a row that they would do um yeah so this is the one rick so this is robert kirkman uh tony moore rick grimes first introduction getting shot waking up in in the hospital i think most people that are listening to the podcast have probably if not read the book have at least seen the first season of the walking dead tv show (laughs) in which case you've you've essentially seen the entire comic yeah Except the CDC part doesn't exist. Yeah, the CDC part doesn't exist, the, the part that's in the show. Um, so Rick Grimes out on patrol duty. They are in a gunfight Act- with something. An active shooter situation, and Rick goes in to, to flank him and gets shot, wakes up at a, you know undetermined amount of time later in a hospital bed. It's all vacant. Like He doesn't know what's going on, can't mm-hmm. find anybody. He's like, they can't possibly be all on break at once. Mm-hmm. Um, dialogue's a little cheesy. Like the dialogue, like, the I, pacing. It's like it's funny because I don't remember it being kind of cheesy, but it's still in that. It has its foot in the. That is one of the notes that I actually have down. Like I'd almost say we're in a postmodern comic age because, like, the it's just different. Not bad. Yeah, it's not bad at all. But it's like it's it's di- like it, it it has a different flow, a different vibe. The dialogue's a little cheesier. It's almost like thought bubbles, just a step after thought bubbles. Yeah. So the I'll give a quick, a real quick synopsis, because volume one is actually, it actually happens really, really fast. Rick wakes up in the hospital. Zombies are full in the hospital. Goes out, meets Morgan for the first time. Mm-hmm. 
um, gets to the police station, gets his the the uniform on that everybody knows him for now, mm-hmm. um, goes out to find his family, ends up in in Atlanta, is found by um, Glenn. Glenn gets taken back to the to the camp. Um, camp eventually gets overrun by zombies. A few people die. They Sir, need to leave the camp. Walkers. Walkers. Sorry. Um, they need to. They need to leave the camp, and that's kind of how it ends. With some thrown in about you know Shane also gets shot because a big character twist that happens really really fast is you know he gets jealous of everything that's on the go, thinks no. Rick should have died, and then Carl ends up killing him. Yeah, to protect his father. To protect his family. That's the quick synopsis on that one. This is probably. Out I mean, even when Kirkman is writing Invincible, this happened really, really fast. Mm-hmm. The pacing and all of this is super, super quick compared to how he out, how he runs his storylines now. His stories are way more slowed down now. But he's kind of been involved in the TV world now a little bit. Well, and he's, I think he's he's developed, you know, his true storytelling in it. Mm-hmm. These ones are very much like you can see the first issue being very much a first issue. In that style. And, I mean, these came out a long time ago, so obviously he's gotten better at his craft. Um, it's crazy to think it's been 15 years. Yeah. That is really crazy. Um, yeah, some of the notes that I have written down is that, you know, this was, it, even when it came out, it was a really fantastic concept mm-hmm. and a great way to start off your story with a guy waking up in the hospital. Much like 28 Days Later, it's that same kind of waking up in the hospital, the world has turned to shit, what do you do? That kind of thing. It works really, really well. Tony Moore's art is fantastic. I forgot how much I really enjoyed his art. Yeah. Like, uh, not that Char- uh, Charlie Allred was bad by any means; he was excellent as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I really, yeah, I really did like Tony Moore on this book. Yeah, it, it, it gives it a different. It, it gives it more of the cartoony mm-hmm. uh, feel to it. Um, but I liked it too. It was a nice throwback to the original. Like I say, his his storytelling change. Um, I will say, for all its fanfare, Rick Grimes is actually a shitty character to start with. He's kind of like a Barry Allen. Like, he's kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> As I was reading it, I was like, God, why did anybody really give a shit about him? Yeah. Because he starts off that way. Like, there was no real character development he's in very much first here, six like, issues. bread and butter. Like, it's very bland. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't really get why people immediately gravitated to following him or wanting him to be the leader. Like, I just... In fact, he's kind of a fuck up. Like so. Yeah, there's nothing spectacular about the guy. Like, <laughs> so I'm, I'm kind of like the only thing he had right, I guess, was he's like, "We're not safe just being out in tents." Yeah, we're not. <laughs> we're not safe in a tent. Big fucking shocker there. Yeah. And oh, by the way, I'm a cop, so I know how to shoot a gun. Mm-hmm. Like those are really the 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 two pillars that everybody grabbed onto. Yeah. From it, what I did like is that. And this is the more twisted part is that right after like this first storyline is where you see Carl set down the path that he's been on for the rest of the series. That's true. I mean, he is a seven year old, eight year old kid who kills somebody. And if that doesn't fuck you up from the get go, then, you know, somebody's not telling the story right. So this is you can see Carl now and Carl then and how he got to the way he is, which is one thing that I liked. You know, Rick Grimes has had his Superman storyline through the rest of the series, <laughs> losing a hand, battling all sorts of shit, 
surviving all all sorts of scrapes and cuts and you know encounters with all the walkers. Well, the funny thing is, I would have thought prior to going back to this that you couldn't kill Rick in the book, but I actually think that you can. I think the book would be better off if they did. I think like he might even have outstayed his welcome, like in a sense, like it's just kind of unbelievable. I see where this has lasted 15 years. I think this could have lasted 30 years if you had a looked at it uh, almost like a rotating cast. Mm-hmm. Like, um, him surviving as long as he has with with the disability that he has, having lost his hand, uh, and the, the like he even seems to endure even through all the loss that he's had. Like, yeah. So, yeah, like I, I feel like they should have maybe even handed over the book to Carl at some point. Yeah, and I mean, everybody says the story isn't really about Rick. The story is about Carl. Um, It definitely looks like it should be by this point. It definitely should be having that shift. But like I say, I don't know why he was the character. Like, I know why he was the character from the start, but I don't get why his popularity was so huge and what turned him into, like, this mega man. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. That can just do anything. Um, Especially couldn't handle, like, the... The first situation in the book. Yeah. Yeah. He couldn't. Uh, it, it's that being said, I don't want to shit on it too much because it is a good read and I can see like where it is now. I can appreciate that it had to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's just a huge shift between now and then in the storytelling, in the pacing and in the development of the character. Like Rick, the Rick you see now is not the Rick you're going to read at the very beginning. Yeah. And that character comes out. I don't think that character comes out really until the prison. Yeah, it's the post prison having lost his family. Like, yeah, lost, lost his is where and, you get the Rick that you see and the now. baby. Um, Even yeah, though, now that now, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, how are there so many walkers still? Like, do they not just decay to the point that they can't do anything anymore? They should have by now. Yeah, like it should have like become a manageable number again, right? Since everyone was dead already. Yeah, <laughs> because there's so many of them. I mean, if they wipe out all of Atlanta. You know, eventually, and nobody's still there to feed them. They should be decaying and just becoming more, you know, corpse-ish. Now they think about it. Why didn't the army just evacuate who they could and then bomb the cities? Again, I don't know. <laughs> if, like, if you're really, yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if you, if if it's the the threat of zombies is the sheer numbers, and they're already gone. Why didn't they bomb the cities? So well, the, and the idea, they, I mean, later on... They got on, to the point that they literally, everyone died. Like Later on, it's, it's kind of revealed that, you know, anybody that dies turns. No, you don't I have to be that, bitten or like, anything like that. But if, so you, it's still, if you obliterate the vol- the volume of people, yes, there could have been more manageable, num- like, countermeasures. Yes. Yeah. But. Totally agree. <laughs> it's an... Uh, yeah. Anyway. I don't really know what else to say about it. I did yeah. like. I don't want it to sound like I don't like it or that I, you know I don't like the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the TV show anymore. But the the Does comic, yeah. <laughs> the, the comic, it starts off. It it is a really good fun read to start with. I enjoyed going back to it. To it, be was, it was it was really good. Um, yeah, I don't really have any like, you know, I'm just nitpicking here. But like, I I enjoyed reading it. Uh, it, it's it's very much like an old school story now because of how used we how we've become used to like the post apocalyptic yeah. zombie world now. It's kind of like neat to like see like the outbreak again. Yeah, I would say if you're reading the series now, 
definitely go back and check it out and see how it started and see how different the storytelling is between the two eras because it's yeah. it is drastically different all right cool Okay, so that's enough of a rant on that one. I feel like I'm coming across like a total shithead this this time because <laughs> I'm so down on things. Um, maybe, but... maybe it's your satanic meanings. <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> that could be it. Um, that being said, I will carry our Dark Lord onto the running of the cosmic treadmill. Where we can get behind the hope white light of gotham city <laughs> gotham's white knight harvey dent yes so the cosmic Batman. treadmill is our is where we revisit some classic storylines yes. that have been on the go given um that it is halloween this week we thought it would be appropriate to take a look at batman the long halloween yes now i will say i will stop talking because i've done a lot of talking so far i think one thing that stuck out to me when i was reading this was I noticed a lot of the the Tim Sale art on his covers and everything had 96. He had date-stamped it with 96. Wow. And I thought to myself, oh, holy shit, I am an old man, because that was (laughs) 20 years ago. I was reading that in high school. Oh, dang. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Want to feel older? (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Yeah. What was I doing in 96? So hmm. I will... <laughs> leave that at the, the <laughs> <to> mystery. <laughs> I, I, it made me feel old. That being said, the story was as good then as it is now. Or as good now as it was then. Either one of those ways works. Well, I have to say I liked going back to... This is probably... Uh, I believe this takes place in year two of Batman's uh, mission uh, against crime. Our war on crime. So you get a Batman who's not, who's still, he's still Batman. He's very good at what he does, but he's still, like, he's still green in some ways. Like, it's almost like these are, like, first encounters for him with some of these characters. And some in which he hasn't, he doesn't have his countermeasures for. Like, there's a part with the Poison Ivy where he's completely blindsided. Same with Scarecrow. Mm Mm-hmm. But just, uh, I guess, to give, like, a quick synopsis is basically, if you've seen The Dark Knight, you, you kind of know a good chunk of the story, except for the, the part that, uh, you know, it's Batman, Harvey Dent, and Commissioner Gordon go have a pact with each other to kind of try and take down the Carmine, the Roman Falcone, who is, like, the kind of godfather of Gotham at this point, and... Uh, <laughs> How do, how do I best describe this? So it seems like he's the un, like an untouchable mobster type, and um, Harvey Dent is almost con, is like consumed by this case. This case, mm-hmm. you got you see that they're working like overtime, basically. Like their their personal lives are suffering because they're trying to come up with enough evidence to take down Falcone. You get. Uh, how do I, I see? I can't even do the story justice. Um, Falcone is basically tries to rope Bruce Wayne in to kind of bring the banks into. Um, they want to launder their money a little yeah. more efficiently, so they're trying to like kind of get Bruce Wayne coax him into voting to bring. Was it Falcone Imports? Uh, yeah. Into the into the mix, uh, Bruce. You know, knowing where he comes from is like hell no. 
I will vote this down. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I won't stand for this. You know, Falcone has a, they introduce Alberto at that point where it's uh, Falcone's son who is kind of the soft boy. He doesn't want him in his business. He wants him. He's for no particular reason. It's not, it's, yeah. it's not like it's it's said. Oh, he's really soft or anything like that. It's just he looks meek. Yeah. <laughs> so because he's portrayed as meek, you just assume like, oh, Falcone doesn't want him around because he's he's just a, a weakling or something like that. And he doesn't respect him. Yeah. You instantly understand that. Oh, he doesn't respect his own son. Yeah, and doesn't want him in the st- in in the thing. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very simple. Prem- I'm just gonna jump in for one second. It's a very mm-hmm. simple premise. Falcone just wants to grow his mob business, mm-hmm. um, and Batman, James Gordon, and Harvey Dent all recognize that he is a mob boss and he's laundering money through Gotham, and it should not be tolerated, and they need to bring him down. Yes, and that's kind of the the crux of the the full story. In amongst all of this, there are murders that start to happen. On holidays. Yes. Which is the juice of the story. And I yeah. didn't even get there yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, they, the media dubs this killer the holiday killer. Holiday. Uh, and so Batman, Harvey Dent, and them seek out the advice of Calendar Man. And we should say the first murder happens on Halloween. Yes, sorry to kick off the, the naming convention mm-hmm. of the story. The story takes place over the course of a year, basically, and so that's why it's called The Long Halloween. Which is the fun part, because this is one of the first times that I can remember, um, like, a a special premiere printing kind of storyline happening Mm -hmm. that actually was told over the full 12 months. Yeah. So this this printed, I was just looking it up while uh, while Andrew was originally talking, it it was printed from December of 96 to December of 97. Mm Mm-hmm. So every month you got the fill-in story, and every month obviously cons- coincided with whatever the awesome. the holiday was in, within that month, yeah. for the most part. Um, a couple of mentions, because I don't want to really spoil the story, uh, because I think it's an absolute read. Uh, if I were to, yeah, like I've, I've made recommendations on the show before, but mm-hmm. I think this is a book that you, if you're a Batman fan, you have to read, and so I don't want to spoil it too deeply. But you get a lot of um, a lot of firsts, a lot of introductions. Um, you see the very early um, relationship between uh, Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle. Not even so much their relationship between Batman and Catwoman. They're both unaware of each other's identities at this point in the storyline. You can see the the early um, the early flirtations between the two of them, and. Uh, you can you can see where how Loeb got to where he was in Hush reading uh, writing this because it's very much you can tell he's a fan of this relationship. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. The cat and the bat yeah. have always been a big thing, um, and these kind of stories pay it off in spades. And at this point in comics, Catwoman is is a villain. However, she's not like a villain like say the Joker or Mister Freeze or any of these other kind of characters. She's very much like. A cat, a cat burglar, mm-hmm. right? And so, Batman clearly is attracted to her. He doesn't quite know what her involvement in everything is, and I think that this is—they only kind of hint at why she's involved, but they don't really touch into the whole is she the daughter of Falcone? Mm-hmm. I think that they actually do a mini series separate. I believe this Catwoman went in Rome. I think is what it, is the story that actually tells that. I don't know. I never read that one, so that would be interesting to check out. I'll put it on the list. It's actually not bad. Okay. Um, She, you know, and each month, like, you're also getting, like, another set of rogues uh, from Batman's rogue gallery. Because this is, again, 
you see that that structure where he was trying to have a, a, a villain a new villain for every issue just like in hush except done way better yeah um you yeah, see the the emotional and psychological toll that, that the case is taking on Harvey, who at this point is not Two Face. Mm-hmm. He, he is Harvey yeah. Dent, District Attorney, very committed to to solving this case. Um, this, this is very much an origin story for, for Two Face. Yes, um, and I, I have to say, I, I really like this as his origin. Um, I think it works. I think I think it works really, really well as as his origin story. Yeah, I, I just don't think we. I don't think we should spoil this one. Like, you don't want to spoil any the, of it. Twist. Yeah, it's just so good though. There's a lot of different twists in this. I mean, I like, will say that from having read it multiple times now, every time I read it, I forget how obvious they make some of it. <laughs> it's like hush that way. You know? Yeah, it's like, like from sure. issue one, you can be like, oh, I'm pretty sure I know how this is going to end and who it is. <laughs> um, that being said, there are a couple twists along the way, but um, there's a lot of story beats that Dark Knight very much just lifts from it, right? Even some yes. sh- camera shots, like uh, yep. which, like you know, Bruce and and uh, Commissioner Gordon, or sorry, Captain Gordon and and Harvey Dent on the rooftop, yep. very much straight out of this book. The giant stack of money that they burn that gets burned. They do it in a different way, but it it that that's there. Um, you know, you've got uh, you've got even like one thing I liked about this story where the Joker is kind of just a wild card in the story. He's not really yeah. involved. He kind of gets annoyed that there's a killer getting a holiday killer getting all the press. Yeah, he just doesn't like somebody else <laughs> getting more attention than him. And but, his his massive thing, and this part I'll store I'll spoil because yeah, it's just a, in fine. a quick storyline. Is his whole thing is well? I'll just start killing people in the city because someone's got to be holiday. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, if I blow up Times Square or uh, yeah, whatever the the big square yeah. is, then you know I'm bound to get him, aren't yeah. I? It's a holiday. <laughs> it's, a, it's a holiday. People are there. Let's see what happens. See, I I really enjoyed that aspect. I I love that that Joker is just kind of like untam- an untamed beast. Like he's just yeah. Like, what the hell? Um. We're introduced to Falcone's daughter, Sophia. <laughs> Sophia, who's like a giantess, I guess. Yeah, and I can. I, one thing I didn't understand is: does she have some kind of strength, or is it just that she's so big? She's. So I think strong? she's just so big. She's so strong. Like, okay. She's just really like. <laughs> she's a big lady. Yeah. Um, classic Bruce Wayne. It comes under sus- uh, suspicion from the police, but they don't know he's Batman. Um. There's some cool stuff with Poison Ivy that I, I don't want to really spoil too much about, but you can tell you can Batman's very much not uh, prepared for her. Yeah, um, yeah. This is not a I'm Batman type. He wins everything. For this is every eventuality. Mu- yeah, this is like the yeah. It's very much that that year two, including kind of thing with getting the, ready for my year dudes. one. It's like obviously he's making lots of mistakes and getting really hurt along the way. <laughs> yeah. Um. I did enjoy the interactions with Catwoman. She just kind of pops up, and her goals are still always ambiguous. Like, yeah, she's clearly that, like helping him, but she's also it's also serving her own needs. Yeah, um, the Riddler plays a, a, a small but important role. I think in I the liked story. the Riddler being in it. I really did like seeing him in it. Yeah, it was fun. Um, yeah, like there's not really much more I could say without spoiling it, but it's just like a very uh, it's a it's a fun dark mystery uh as 
it goes through the the three uh, and uh, protagonists trying to solve the case. Uh, Calendar, Calendar Man is getting upset in the cell because he he thinks people are forgetting him, but he ha- he clearly has insights on mm-hmm. on who the killer is, uh, which I will say for reasons I don't quite know why he kind of knows. I don't know how they assume he would ever know. Yeah, <laughs> just I guess I, I like would, it's the holiday theme and whatnot. But. Yeah, I very much think that his guess is wrong. <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, no. I think he's kind of right. We'll talk about that after. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, it has the classic two-face moment where he, Maroney, is on the stand and he gets the ass thrown in his face and mm-hmm. it just totally sends him over the edge. Yep. Um, and then, I know, I think it was like last week I said I was kind of tired of like a two-face story and stuff. This revitalizes my interest in Two-Face. Oh, Two-Face is a great character. I'm like, An absolutely I've just, I've just forgotten character. that what this character is because like, I you, actually want to read more about this yeah, character. Yeah, I'm again. pretty sure you get some good Two-Face uh, storylines happening in Gotham Central as well. Um, the, yes, yeah. The, the police-specific one. You get a good one in there for him. Um, when handled correctly, Two-Face is a fantastic character and you can have a great story working with him. The um, also like coming back to this and then looking back at Hush, the character progression makes a little more sense to me. Um, you also see just how insane he really is. Yes, <laughs> it's uh he's a scary villain because like he literally can change on a flip of a coin. Yeah, uh, which is like there was a moment in this book where like that that. Um, symbolism is there where he in that i guess he feels like things can change on the flip of a coin and like that when his psyche breaks that kind of like latches on he latches onto that concept yeah which explain like to explain the flip of the coin um aspect of him and his dual nature there's a lot of dual nature uh symbolism and imagery throughout the book uh which if you're paying attention to you could, uh, you, I mean, which is why I think a two-faced story works so well in Batman because mm-hmm. it plays off the duality of the character. You've got the good and the bad of both of them mm-hmm. um, that usually plays out really, really well. Which is why I say when it's handled correctly, you get a really good feel for it because Batman very much loses a friend. He loses a friend. He also has to face the fact that his, he came under suspicion from his friend in mm-hmm. his civilian life, and he can't really clear his name the yep. way he would you know you know the way one person would think that it's like well i'm batman <laughs> you, you gotta know me but you can't do that um i liked i like the twists and turns in the story i like that batman and commissioner gordon sorry captain gordon didn't really figure it out it's kind of left like the mystery solved for the reader but the case closed on their end they don't quite have it right. Yeah, they've 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 got the suspect in custody by the end, who is guilty of some, but not guilty of all. I would argue that he's not actually guilty of any of it. I, he's definitely guilty of one thing. Like he was the reason they caught him is because he's very much guilty of one thing at the very yeah, least. I guess. So there there are definitely um, – there's definitely twists and turns in the story. And because you don't want to spoil it, I'm trying really hard not to. All right. I, I do, do think – Do you wish to – we could tell people right now 
one hour, 11 minutes <laughs> is spoiler warning. So you're going to want to skip ahead. Well, basically to pick of the week, I guess, at this point, if we talk about this part. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Okay. So spoiler warning. Yeah. So waiting. the end of, of it's it's found out to be that Alberto is officially charged as the holiday murderer. Yes. What happens subsequently from that is that you discover that it was actually Gilda was also the holiday killer and potentially Harvey before he was Two-Face. And so, see, the way I interpret it is that Alberto takes um, the crime you're talking about is where he shot his father, right? He shot Maroney. Maroney, yeah. He's taking credit because he wants to be seen as the big man to his father for all of it. I understood it is that the holiday killings from the uh, the the start was was Gilda, up until the attempt on on uh, Alberto. Then it was Har- Then it was Harvey. From that point on, having realized it's his wife. Yes, all yes. That's that's basically how it plays out. Yeah. And the way I say that Batman and Commissioner haven't, uh, Commissioner Captain Gordon haven't uh, figured it out, is that all they know is that uh, Alberto was guilty and Two Face was somehow guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't know anything about Gilda. And I know I asked you off off air, like if they've ever followed up with that. And I don't believe they did. They do, but not directly. Like there's a storyline where she goes like batshit, basically, and. Um, in the current continuity, they brought her back, but she's dead now. Like So this very much is not, I don't think, in continuity anymore. No, I don't think so. I don't, yeah. So I, I don't think they ever followed it up. And I, I don't believe, even though they have the hol- holiday in the Dark Victory um, yeah, storyline afterwards. I don't think she even appears. In, I don't in, think it gets, in, gets in anywhere else into that story at all. But I like that there are subtle hints to it throughout. Like, she basically starts taking... And if you look at the murders, right, the first set of murders are members of the Falcone family. Yep. Gilda is taking them out basically because it's the case is destroying her life, her marriage yep. with, with, with uh, Harvey. So she snaps and she starts taking them out using this holiday motif. Why she did that part, I don't know. <laughs> How she's able to get so close to them, we don't know. But I guess she's getting evidence and whatnot from Harvey's caseload or whatever. Um, the one, the ones after it is just like pretty much just Harvey, like just trying to take them all out. He's lost it at this point. Yeah, he's taking out anybody that's connected. Um, the one, one, one person that got killed uh, that they didn't make any sense was the coroner. They did explain that. And that was, no, I know. I mean, like, they didn't understand the motive at first. But it was basically Alberto, like, Falcone was covering up uh, Alberto's death. Yes. He was not really dead. Yes. Um, I liked that the the weapon was a twenty two caliber. I liked all the dual imagery uh, through it. Like, you somehow can forget that you're reading the lead up to Two-Face while reading it. Yeah. Not like you know, if you're really analyzing it, you're gonna see it. But if as a reader, just reading it, you're it's all there. But you and you, I think they t- play on the fact that you know he's gonna become two face. Yeah, I think you just you're basically as soon as you see, oh, it was a 22, you're like, oh, awesome, two face is gonna yeah. be in this. <laughs> so you're, you're basically supposed to think that Harvey's gone off the edge, yes. pretty much from the get go, which isn't the case, but. yeah, which isn't entirely the case. I mean, he's definitely had a break, yeah, um, 
but he's not fully fully guilty of everything. No, it's it, it's very it's a really 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 good storyline. There's a very good reason why so many people talk about it, and why it is on so many lists as one of the best, like one of the the must read um, Batman stories that are out there. Yeah. If you see like the top 100, top 50s, this will be on that list, and it's very evident why. I would like to see this restored uh, as part of the continuity, very much so, because I thought. This is like a solid story, even if they had to reconceptualize some of it. Mm-hmm. But I think that this should be the definitive Two-Face origin. Yeah, I think so, too. It's one of these things where when I was a lot younger reading Batman, anytime they had mob bosses and different things in the story, I was always really bored and unimpressed <laughs> with it because all you want is spectacle. It's true. But now that I'm older, I'm like, no, I want a nice long story. I want something that I can get into, see, something that's more thought. I want to see a Batman movie in this kind of format, like where like it doesn't have to be like grandiose. I want a Batman. He's I want a Batman that's a detective. Yeah. In the same way, I want Batman that's a detective in the comics. I don't want a Batman that has all of these fantastic plans where he's hiding things in the moon, where he's, <laughs> you know, he's got all these files on how to take out the Justice League in all sorts of ways. Those are fun to read. Mm-hmm. But as one-offs, I don't want a Batman that always wins. Yeah. I don't want that. I want him to be the detective that he's supposed to be. So the sooner we get into that storyline, and I know it's going to happen soon. I know that they're relaunching the detective comics, and they're going to focus more on that. I'm very much looking forward to that. I would agree. And that's why I think that. I think that's why Long Halloween works so well, because the spectacle of these other rogues coming in <laughs> are just there to fill out the to fill out the issues and give you a little yeah. bit more action, yeah. they are inconsequential to the story. Oh, they're just totally there. So Tim Sale, you can see Tim Sale's art. Yeah, like, here's his version of X and Y. And yeah, Z, you know. So it's really really cool. I, it is one of my favorite Batman stories for sure. I managed to forget how much I enjoy this. Yeah, but it's it's back like it again. It it, it takes you it. it it shows you some of what's missing in Batman currently, and I'm not saying that as a slight against Batman right now. It's probably the best DC book mm-hmm. going. Um, but that that being said, like there's there's out there's something missing, and I think this is uh, again the fallout for New Fifty Two. Like it's just yep, they haven't quite recovered yet, and like with the Rebirth Initiative, seemingly uh, I don't know where like if they're just falling off of that. It's gone from a birth to now it's a toddler where it's just kind of crawling. <laughs> Eventually it'll become a child that stands fully upright and continues walking. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at. We're at the crawl. It's holding its head up nicely, but it's getting there. It's still bobbling. It's still bobbling. Yeah, it's getting there. So, okay. yeah, uh, strong recommendation. Uh, maybe the strongest I can give uh, to date on the show. Yes. Um, and a uh, must absolute read. Yes, definitely. Definitely a must read for any Batman fans. Okay, we are running super long today. Yes. Um, so we will jump into our pick of the week. It's a spook tag. <laughs> so pick of the week section, this is where we talk about our uh, favorite comic from the recent uh, solicits that came out on New Comic Book yeah, Day. New Comic Book Day this week. So do you want to kick it off? or um, Did I go first last time? I don't recall. Right, I'll go first. Okay. Um, again, uh, this week, nothing really blew my socks off. Um, I could say my books this week were 
Action Comics 1004, Batgirl 28, Detective Comics 991, Return of Wolverine number 2, Amazing Spider-Man number 8, The Flash 57, and Wonder Woman 57. I'll say right off the bat I haven't read Wonder Woman or Detective because they're part of uh, stories that I'm behind on. Um, I can scratch Return of Wolverine number two off this list completely. This it didn't make your pick of the week this not time? Not even remotely close. Um, <laughs> I remember it was your pick of the week. I know. And he, he went on a good boat he ride. He went on a boat ride and set his son on fire. And Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a nice boat ride. <laughs> I can't believe how bad that issue was. Um, it's not so much that it was bad; it's just nothing happened in it. But that, to me, makes it bad. Like this, it's a, a limited miniseries. It ne- each issue needs to push the story forward. Yeah, this tells me that it's building up to like one focal point issue, and then yeah. that'll be it. Yeah. Like there's, it's a moment that they've written around. Anyways, maybe that's number three because you know Jean Grey finds Logan on three, bro. So I guess they're not in limbo. No. All right, um, I'm going to just get to it. I was torn between three issues, Action Comics, Batgirl, and The Flash. Okay. And uh, I'm going to go with The Flash. Again, it's a, it's kind of the conclusion to the, the, the current uh, storyline where they were dealing with the Sage Force with mm-hmm. Heat Wave. It's a launching point for Barry, uh, where I think that's going to define where the book is going for the next long little while. Yep. He's finally come to terms with that he's been motionless and that he, he wants to become... <laughs> Barry Allen, and he used to be the fastest man alive. He now wants to be the fastest man alive again. Understand that he needs to understand the... Understand his powers, his connection to the Speed Force. What all the other flashes like, from the other 52 universes keep telling him. You need to go on a on a, 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 a force quest. Force quest, and so he finally gets to the point where he's like, "I've got to do this, but how do I? How do I do this? How do I leave uh, Iris?" Mm-hmm. Iris basically says, "You're an idiot. Buck up! <laughs> like you got to, you got to, you got to do this. Like, there's what is the question here?" And he's like, "But I can't leave you." And she's like, "What are you talking about? I'm going with you." Yeah, she's <laughs> like, "You're an idiot. Obviously, yeah. I'm coming with you." Yeah, so. um here we go, the continued adventures of uh, Barry and Iris, and mm-hmm. I'm down with that. And it was a fun it was a fun read. I enjoyed it. Um, Batgirl, solid issue again. Um, again, it's just kind of this, the, they've revealed the identity of Grotesque, and what kills it a little for me is its connection to the cyber villain from Nightwing and Batgirl. <laughs> I just can't. I'm tired of cyber villains. Like it's just, it's not 1992 anymore. I'm not scared of the internet. Maybe I should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So that, it was it was a good it was a good read. But it's the villain holds me back. Uh, the close number two was Action Comics 1004. I read it. It's really well written. Um, I don't. I didn't really know what to think of it after reading it. I still kind of don't. Yep, that's fair. I, I don't, like, this issue was promoted as being, like, the defining new status quo, like, the redefine the Superman-Lois Lane relationship for the ages or whatever, and I kind of don't get it. Like, I, I get that they're like, okay, we're, we're still going to be married, but I guess we're just going to neglect our relationship by doing our own thing, but, no, we're going to come back to it. Like, I just, 
I don't fully get then what was the point of making it a big deal. Yeah, I I went I reread that again this morning mm-hmm. just because I was still on the fence about uh, my pick of the week. So I'll jump in now and I'll say. Action Comics was one of my picks, uh, or it was in contention. It was between that and Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. Um, I'll get to my reason for why I pick Amazing Spider-Man as my pick of the week. But I reread Action Comics because I was like, maybe I missed something about what they talked about their new status quo being for their relationship. I didn't miss anything. (laughs) It's not really called out specifically other than he is always running around saving the world. She is always trying to do her writing. John is not in the picture right now. So they have the ability to look into their own wants right now. So she wants to keep writing. He needs to save the world. It doesn't mean that they're not married. It doesn't mean that they're not going to have a strong relationship. It just means that they don't live together, question mark. <laughs> so is Lois asking for Superman to have an open marriage? Like, like, I just think it's so... It's a very strange thing. I don't really know what Was it she means not writing? for them. She just stopped writing, apparently? During the, her relationship with Superman, this is new. Like during this component, I guess is, so. I have no see, idea. That part I thought was ludicrous. Like I'm like, she can't be herself in her marriage. What kind of message is that? It, it's a very. I, I don't really understand like it. Superman, the man who can almost be anywhere at any time. Any like suddenly he doesn't have enough time to be. For but you family. get a you get a good play out on that one because they're in the middle away. of the debate yeah. and he goes, hold on a minute. And then he goes and he takes out, like, gridiron, and he saves a bunch of people from a fire, and, like, buses collisioning. And, like, all these things, he comes back and and he's saving them, and he's like, so what were we saying? And, like, you can understand, like, okay. But maybe if they hadn't have been married since, like, the 90s, like, where this has always just been part of their relationship. And this is why I I didn't really have concerns about it being like, oh, they're not going to be together. It's like, no, Superman is nothing without Lois. Right? Like, Lois is his tie to... Earth. to earth to the human aspect of himself really these days that's really what it's hung well, on the, the kents are no longer there so they don't have that to ground him yeah. anymore so it's <sighs> so anyway that's kind of why I didn't pick it because it, it's a really well written <laughs> yeah. issue it's really good I, I think everybody should be checking it out I still don't really get what it means for them in the long run well I think it just means Bendis is, is shelving Lois and Clark as a couple for a bit I think what it is is he's not necessarily yeah so he's he's still going to write he what's happening to, with Lois and he's going to write what's happening he with just Superman. doesn't want to write their marriage but he's he not going to write them at home yeah like it's he doesn't want he's you know he's assured people that John's not going anywhere but he's kind of been absent yeah and I think despite the fact that he's coming back I think he's still going to be a shelved character I kind of hope so <laughs> I mean I like I like Superman dad don't get me wrong, I do like that. Um, but in the same way that I don't want to read anything about Damien, I don't know that I necessarily need to read too much about what's going on with the quote-unquote mm-hmm. Superboy. Well, this is, to me, I had again another issue that kind of gives evidence that there's a reset coming. These kind of moves in books always seem to happen just before something big kind of hits the reset button. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't know how to describe it. Maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm completely wrong, but I I feel like they're sidestepping some of this stuff because they don't want to just like outright kill John. But I feel like there might be some sort of reset coming where he isn't a thing anymore. Yeah, that and, would be a. I think that 
that would be a bigger issue for people to deal with um, because a lot of people like the like the John character and like the Superman dad thing. Um, that being said, they've p- pissed off fans before, so it won't. It's well, comics. And, Anything and will change. Kind of it'll be pushing what it'll it aside be. anyways. It's almost like ripping the Band-Aid off That's a little true. bit. And I think that I just looking at the st- way the stories are structured and it, it's all every book is building up to something. Yeah. And Doomsday Clock is still kind of ticking along, and there's the upset going on in Heroes in Crisis, which can't wait to see what happens next with that. Mm-hmm. But uh, like it, it very much feels like they they have to rebirth. Kind of started this initiative, and I feel like they need a linchpin to kind of say it's taken them the, a long time to get the back definitive to it. status quo. Like this is yes where everything is set. This is where the pieces are falling. Um, it's taken them far too long to put that yeah, in the it's sand. Been like, now it's been, what, two, three years now, yeah. right? So like, I feel like they're kind of just going with the flow right now, but I feel like they still need that universe-defining moment like every other crisis that has where it's like, this is our new status quo. This is where our characters are at. Mm-hmm. Rebirth is starting to feel like they just haven't really set all the pieces yet. Mm-hmm. That's fair enough. So the reason I picked in a quick shift on this one to, to wrap up the episode, no worries, um, is just to say I, Amazing Spider-Man for mine is because they have done that reset, the reset on the character <laughs> where he's with he's with Mary Jane. That's working out. There's this cool new um, guild of thieves that are out there who end up basically stealing all of the superheroes equipment. It's very much in line with the goofy Marvel. It's initiative very much in line there. <laughs> Captain America's fighting. A whole bunch of um, of of what's his face? Oh God! He he throws his shield. It doesn't come back to him because yeah. somebody's <laughs> stolen it. Thor is fighting the wrecking crew. He goes to pick up his hammer, or they try and steal his hammer. Except nobody, they, nobody can find the hammer because somebody else has already stolen it. It's not Mjolnir. It's not Mjolnir, so anybody can pick it up. Um, there's just these fantastic things of you know they're trying to break into the sanctum sanctorum. Uh, they're trying. They break into uh, celestial. Iron Man's thing they break into the Celestial where the Avengers are and just they steal Ghost Rider's car yep. straight from him <laughs> he's like I'm sure a parked it here they stole Spidey's web shooters and they stole Spidey's <laughs> web shooters so there's it's going to be I think it's going to be a lot of fun in the next issue yeah. um, it had it just had some great payoff and it, again it had that fun it had a classic Spider-Man feel to it that I really really enjoyed I, so I didn't mention the book but I did enjoy the read um, and of I, course Humberto Ramos's art is Fantastic. I think he draws a great Spider-Man as well. Mm-hmm. So um, It's interesting how he's evolved over the years. Yeah. Uh, in a way that I like. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. His, his art hasn't gone downhill. It's gotten better and better and better. Um, so. I like that they're reintroducing Black Cat in a Black Cat role. Mm-hmm. It feels more like that felt authentically Black Cat for the first time in a while. So yep. I'm, I'm looking forward to going further in that storyline. Yeah. It was a really fun read. I, I really, really enjoyed it. It was, like I say, it was between that and action, but ultimately it's Spider-Man that wins out. Okay. All right, so this is a very long Halloween spectacular episode. I think we'll we'll have to wrap it up here. As hey, usual, wake up. <laughs> as usual, you can find us um, at our website, uh, terminalvelocitypodcast.com. On Twitter at Comics Terminal. Uh, you can drop us a question or a comment. Uh, on the website, or you can send it to us at terminalvelocitypodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, pretty much all the social media outlets. Um, just want to remind you to, to you know, subscribe, rate us, five-star review would be great. Yep. Help us get uh, noticed by others. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. 
I think that's it. Everybody, uh, we're going to sign off here. Everybody have a safe and happy Halloween. And watch out for razor blades. (laughs) Good one. Take care. See ya. (laughs) 